0: We are in Judges, as you know, Judges chapter 6, and we, today we are looking at Judges chapter 6, verse 33 to verse 40. Hopefully when you came in, you have had, you picked up an outline that uh, says Sunday 24th of September, that's the right day, and hopefully it gives you just some pointers for you to... Follow along, But also, I think it helps you to write any questions that you have. Perhaps you're ask me afterwards, or anything the Lord is speaking to you about. That's why the outline is there in word form, so that you can write your thoughts, any scriptures, any thoughts that the Lord uh, brings to you. Because, you know, you want to remember and think through these things. Now, for much of human history, people agreed business deals uh, through a simple handshake. Uh, people simply shake hands over a deal. So, if you want to do somebody's house, you just shake hands over it. That's how it's actually been uh, for much of human history. If you gave someone your word, they trusted you. And you trusted them if they promised you something. In fact, the original motto of the London Stock Exchange is My word is my bond. That, that's, that's the original motto of the, uh, the, the LSC. Nowadays, you cannot, of course, even open a bank account simply by shaking your hands on it. I mean, try going to your bank manager and uh, say, look, I opened the account, I'll just shake our hands over it. No. You have to sign a written contract. Uh, You have to sign a contract that's legally binding. And the reason we do that is because we lack trust in one another. Uh, People don't always do what they promise they will do. You can't simply shake your hands, uh, shake hands with someone over something. Their word just isn't sufficient uh, to guarantee that they will do that. So, you are now legally required to write things down, and that's what's usually admissible uh, in court. Now we are currently in the book of Judges. As you know, it is a history of God's people, Israel. Uh, as I said, in the promised land of Canaan. And as I said, we are in Judges 6, which our brother David has been doing a brilliant job uh, reading for us. And as we have been going through this book, we have seen that Israel has gone back on its word. And that's what's been happening. It is worshipping the false gods of Canaan. And if you like, Israel and God, you know, shake hands so over a deal. But Israel have gone back on that. They are now worshipping false idols of Canaan. And as we've been seeing through our judges, when Israel do that, what inevitably happens is that their idolatry forces them to come under oppression of a certain foreign oppressor. It was the Canaanites before during the time of Deborah and Barak. Now they are being oppressed by the Midianites. The Midianite oppression of Israel is different from other oppressors uh, because the Midianites come at least once every year. They are not an occupying force, they come during harvest time to just raid their crops uh, from them. And this has been happening for seven years. And yet, throughout this time of seven years, Israel has not genuinely repented. And we saw that even when they cry out to God in the seventh year for help, God sends the unknown prophet who declares, No, you have cried, but you have not turned back to me. And at that point, we mentioned that naturally, what we expect is God to abandon Israel. But God doesn't do that. Uh, we've seen the last two Sundays that actually what he's done is he's raised up. Gideon, and we met Gideon particularly last week, he's raised up Gideon from the tribe of Manasseh, living in this town called Ophrah. And he wants Gideon to go and serve Israel. We saw last week that Gideon starts off very well when God calls him. Uh, He appears to him under that tree we looked at last Sunday. And and after that, in the evening, we saw that God charges him with destroying this altar of Baal. And Gideon does it. He's fearing, but he does it, And he does his great thing of destroying the altar of Baal. And he ends the nickname Jerubel. Look at Judges chapter 6. There's 32 just in front of you there. That's, it says, therefore on that day Gideon was called Jerubel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him. Because he broke down his altar. That is where we left the story of Gideon Sunday evening. And this morning we are continuing from verse 33 to verse 40. Uh, We rejoin Gideon as he begins now the work of preparing to fight the Midianites. We are in Judges, as I said, chapter 6, verse 33 to 40. And what Gideon is about to do is more dangerous than what he did to his father's altar. Because Gideon now must go to war against the Midianites. He must, first of all, do what Barak did, gather the troops and then go into battle. War is at the gates. How will Gideon cope? God is with him. But is Gideon with God? Will Gideon take God at his word? Well this is a question I think. Not just for Gideon. But it's for each one of us here this morning. It is a question for you. As a follower of Jesus. You belong to the God of Gideon. Do you take God at his word? A Gideon situation is forcing each one of us to ask ourselves, am I living in total surrender? When God calls me to serve him, when God calls me to abandon a specific sin, do I immediately obey him? Am I obeying God in the situation he has placed me? Do I take God at his word? Well, let us see what this episode involving Gideon teaches us and helps us answer those questions. The first thing I just want to share from this passage is first of all that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Gideon has destroyed this altar of Baal. Now the word begins. Look at verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and they encamped in the valley of Jezreel. The Midianites are back. They are about to begin a fresh raid on Israel's atlant. And as I've said, they do this every year. And where have they gathered? They have gathered in the valley of Jezreel. Does that ring any bells? It should because this is the same valley where Barak fought Sisera by the river Kishon. And this is where the Midianites have now come. You see how much territory Israel has lost in its heartland, the Midianites are now there. And the valley of Jezreel stretches right across northern Israel, from the Sea of Galilee to the Mediterranean coast. It is an important location because this is the richest agricultural land in the land of Canaan. It is where Israel feeds itself. This is where all the crops, all the livestock are grown. And the Midianites have come as they do every year to plunder it. Israel has been working hard throughout the year and they have come to collect the plunder. It's a bit like that time at work when you work so hard during the whole year and the project that you had been relying on to really get you that marking all of a sudden debate starts. Is it really you who did it or somebody else who did it? And you come out of that meeting having totally not been credited for. You, things have been stolen from you at the last moment. And that's what the Midianites are coming to do, to steal from the Israelites. But Israel has no reason to be afraid. Uh, in fact, the Midianites themselves, the army we'll find out later, is made up of 135,000 troops. So this is a large army. They are like locusts. But Israel has no reason to be afraid. Why? Because God has raised up Gideon. Look at verse 34. By the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. We should pause there and consider what the Bible is telling us here is telling us that God has kept his word in Judges chapter 6 verse 16. Do you remember what God said there? He told Gideon I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God has come upon Gideon and he's come upon Gideon as as, as a, as a person who wears a jacket. He's come upon him, totally enveloped him, empowering him. He's there with Gideon. Fully empowered by God. And the results are immediate. Look at verse 34 and verse 35. By the Spirit of the Lord, clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet. And the Beezerites, that's the clan of Gideon, were called out. So he's starting with his own people. They were called out to follow him. And then he sent messengers throughout Omanasseh, that is his tribe. And they too were called out to follow him. And then he sent out messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. They went up to meet him. Do you see what's happening? The Spirit of God has come upon Gideon with a specific task of gathering this army to fight the Midianites. God is enabling him to raise a large amount of troops. And I should point out here that the number of troops we'll find out later, they are 35,000. That's three times more than Barak and Deborah managed to do. And there's something interesting also here. Did you notice a very interesting tribe included here? And they sent messengers to where? Asher. Do you remember what we said about Asher? Asher like living sort of in the south of France. They are too busy doing their things. But the Spirit of God has just come upon so powerfully upon Gideon that the Asherites who who, who who didn't join Barak and Deborah now join in. Because God is with Gideon. And God is making it clear that I am going with you in this battle. I am with you. I will empower you. I will keep my word to you. Many people promise us to do things, but in the end they let us down. And I don't just mean politicians who break promises. I mean, if you've been hearing Theresa May in the past week, you may be wondering what's going on. You'll be like, a minute. I thought we were going to move, leave the EU immediately. What's this transition period about? I mean, people ask those sorts of questions. You know, they doubt politicians if you are inclined to those sorts of things. You can't trust what politicians tell you. In fact, the truth of the matter is, we can't trust, really, what any of us really say about things we promise people. You know, I was talking to my mother on Saturday and she reminded me that I had said that I would call her. And apparently I did not call I didn't. I mean, I, I, did. I called, but I didn't call the time she said that I'd promised that I would call. My mother likes, you've got to be on time. We, we're all like that. I mean, yesterday I, had, I told Abigail that I was going to be with her for, for a time in the evening, but something urgent came up, and I had to deal with that. But then my wife stopped me and reminded me no, I've got to do it because I had promised. And we need people around us. If you're a parent, you know that you don't always keep your promises. Even at work, in your own life, you know you don't keep the promises you make. Because what? We are sinners. But thank God, God is not like us. He keeps his word. And he keeps his word not only because he is faithful and true. No, he keeps his word because God can. The the, the changes in situations don't affect him because God controls all things. I really did want to spend that time with Abigail, but something urgent came up which I couldn't control. And therefore, I struggled to keep my word with my wife. sure what I did, though, uh, especially. But she hadn't told me, I would even <laughs> have forgotten. But we don't have to worry about that with God. God keeps his word because he's honest to himself and he's powerful enough to keep his word. He's the almighty, powerful God. It's not enough just being honest to keep your word. You've got to be able to control the circumstances to make it happen. And in this universe only God can do that. You can't, I can't. You see, we can only promise and hope to do our best. But God is able to keep this promise because it doesn't depend on anyone for help. Do you believe God keeps his word? Do you believe this? And many of us believe God keeps his word on Sundays, but how do we behave on Monday when trouble comes? On Tuesday? Wednesday? When all of a sudden the world around us looks like it's falling apart? do Are we believing in God then that he can keep his word to be with us? You see, often we doubt the word of God because our fears control how we behave. And this is the second lesson we learn from this passage. The truth number one, God keeps his word. But, there's always a but in Judges, but fear makes us doubt his word. Intellectually, yes, we believe God keeps his word. But our fears about the future, our fears about our life, makes us doubt him. And that's what we see here, and this is our second point. Fear makes us doubt God's word. You see, God has empowered Gideon. Uh, We now expect Gideon to press on against the enemy. Then we read that Gideon is not happy. Look at verse 36 to verse 37. We read this. Then Gideon said to God, If you will serve Israel by my hand, as you have said, Hang on a minute. If, if you will serve Israel by my hand, as you have said, Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool. You know, this piece of wool on the threshing floor, on the ground. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you serve Israel by my hand, as you have said. It's like that moment in a meeting, right? It's like that moment in a meeting when you finish the meeting, right? And everyone is getting up because everybody has agreed what's happening. You know, we are ready to take the action. The meeting has been difficult. Everyone has agreed. Then all of a sudden, there's a person in the corner saying, I, have, I just have a question. Just, and they want to restart the meeting again. You've all had this experience before. You're like, come on, we're finished. But they still have questions. And that's why Gideon should be pressing forward, but he's now raising up matters that shouldn't be raised up. Gideon now wants God to give him proof that he is with him. Twice he uses the word if. If you will serve Israel my hand. If there is a dew on the fleece alone. And you know what's amazing is that Gideon here twice promises reminds us that God has already promised because he says that then he said to him as you have said in verse thirty six that's what he said if you will serve Israel by my hand as you have said so he knows God has promised it and he goes on to say then I shall know that you will serve Israel at towards the end of verse thirty seven by my hand as you have said so we are there thinking well if God has already told you that you will serve Israel by your hand well what's the problem. I mean, get on with it and start serving God. But Gideon is cautious, he's wondering, he's asking himself, what if God does not come through for me? What if God doesn't do as I expect? And many of us are just like Gideon. We ask those questions. God has asked you to surrender a specific area of your life, but you're asking, what if I surrender this sinful relationship to God and I end up being lonely all my life? What if I'm never able to meet anyone? What if I surrender my wallet to God and give sacrificially to God and then God doesn't come through for me and my family? Then what? Who will feed me? What if I forgive that person who has hurt me in the past and then she starts treating me like a doormat now? Will God really be there for me then? You see, we doubt. And sometimes we even doubt in church life. We say, what if we do this and this and this in church and then all of a sudden, (laughs) you know, the church is no longer there. And so what we do is we compromise, we compromise on things, rather than just obeying God and leaving the consequence to him. You see, it is not that you many of us have told Jesus that we need a sign from him. No, it's not like that. Many of us just pretend that Jesus is not commanding us to do anything. Hasn't Jesus already given us a command in Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26 on how we are to live? Matthew 26, verse 24 to 26 says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You see, you've seen there, Jesus is calling you, death to yourself, to total surrender in every area of your life. And many of us as followers of Jesus, we are not doing that. Many of us who claim to be followers of Jesus are not doing that. Now, we are not going to Jesus this and say, hey, you know, Jesus, can you let down the fleece? You, you know, let me let down the fleece just to make sure you really meant the words of Matthew 16. We are not doing that. What we do instead, friends, is we pretend those words are not in the Bible. we just go on through life pretending they are not there. You see, the problem is not your situation. It is simply that you do not trust the word of Jesus when he says, Has the Father has loved me? So I have loved you. And because you do not trust Jesus to look after you, you are not surrendering your life to Him. And I just want to say to you this morning if you do not trust Jesus to look after you, that is very risky. One day you stand before God alone, no amount of money, no relationship. No family member will make any difference then. You must face Jesus alone. Naked you came into this world, and naked you will return to face Him. The only question that will matter then is simple Did you put all your faith in Jesus? Did you trust Him enough to gladly give your life away to Him? In short, are you a true follower of Jesus, or are you just pretending? That is a question I must answer for myself every day. And that's the question you must answer for yourself every day. No one can answer that question for you. Gideon had to answer this, and evidently he's failing. Now, if that question troubles you as much as it bothers me, and it does, then the next truth in this passage should be a great help on how we are to move forward. Because the second truth, the third truth of this passage is, God is gracious towards us. So truth number one, God keeps his word, truth number one. Truth number two, but fear makes us doubt his word. But here's the good news. God is gracious towards us. You're saying, where is the grace here? Look at this, this is the grace. So Gideon lays down the fleece. What do we expect God to do now? Well, we expect God just to blast Gideon. Frankly, God should be asking Gideon, how dare you question me like that? I I mean, I am God, you are not. I mean, isn't that how the Lord answered Job? Job, with all his suffering, the Lord says, where were you when I laid the foundation of you? And that's how we expect God to answer Gideon here. But surprising God doesn't. He answers Gideon's sinful prayer. Look at verse 38. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he rang enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. In other words, God... That, that's the, that the right of Jesus telling us. God hasn't just answered Gideon and leaving some doubts in his mind. There's enough doing here to fill a bucket. God is saying, I have answered that prayer of yours, even though it is a wrong prayer. Well, thank God to, for... for th- thank, thank you, God, for answering some of our foolish prayers. We shouldn't have prayed them, but we do. But we serve such a gracious God who answers foolish prayers. And he answers them clearly for his own glory. We expect here Gideon, of course, to jump for joy. But he's not. Look at verse 39. I mean, God has just answered this prayer. Look what he said in verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. <clears throat> let me speak just once more. Let me, please, let me test just once more with the fleece. Please, let it be dry on the fleece alone, and on the ground, let there be dew. I mean, Gideon wants God now to do the reverse. Okay? God has made the fleece wet, everywhere is dry, now he wants the opposite. He wants to see this trick, I guess, from his perspective, to be done again so he can, you know, it can be the opposite. The fleece dry, everywhere else dew. Now, Is this Gideon just now rediscovering his childhood? Is this just Gideon playing a game now, a childish game with God? Or could it be that Gideon is actually disappointed with how God answered his first request? He was perhaps hoping God won't do it so that he can turn around and say, Ha! I knew it. I knew it. I knew God wasn't with me. Guys, let's go home. No need to fight. The Midianites, now we can just go home and let them do what they did last year. I think that's what he's expecting. Now we, we can't read his mind, but it's obvious here that Gideon is a liar. It is a liar, isn't it? Because he has already told God in verse 36 that if you, verse 36 and then Gideon said to God, If you serve Israel by man, as you have said before, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece, that's 37 alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you saved Israel by my hand as you have said. God has delivered on that. But Gideon now changes his mind and he's asking for another test. He lied before. He said one test is enough. Now he's saying I need another one. Gideon does not keep his word. God keeps his word but not Gideon. And Gideon knows, in fact, here that he's sinning against God. Did you pick that up? He he, he says in verse 39, he says, Let not your anger burn against me. Why is he worried about that? He's worried about that because he knows this is a sinful thing he's asking God to do. He shouldn't be making this request. God has already told him. And look, though, what God does next. He not only overlooks Gideon's sinful behavior, He gives him again what he asks in verse 40. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece alone, the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Why is God doing this? Because God is so committed to serve Israel through Gideon that he's willing for Gideon to stab him in the chest just so that this could be accomplished. God is willing to suffer, so to speak, so that Gideon can go and do his work to serve Israel. Gideon will only fight for God by sinning against God. And God lets him do it because though God hates sin, His grace is bigger than our sin. Now some people think the laying of the fleece is here in the Bible to give us guidance on how we should approach God when we are making decisions, You often hear people say, I laid the fleece down and God directed me. Well, that is wrong. This passage is not in the Bible as a template for how we make decisions. It is here to remind us of the beautiful grace of God in Jesus Christ. It is here to tell you that God can write straight with crooked pencils. It is saying our God is a God of grace who extends his amazing love to sinners like Gideon. Sinners like you. Sinners like me. Sinners who do not deserve his love. And thank God for a God who can write straight with crooked pencils. His grace is bigger than our sins. And this grace of God here points us forward to the grace we have received in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You did nothing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. As you know, remember my sermon on this, we are his work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk. In them, I want to say to you this morning that if you are a true follower of Jesus despite all your doubts despite all your distrust of God God is reaching out to you in Jesus with love do you see God has not only given you his word to obey him God has reached out to you with his nailed hands of love on the cross and this brings us to the very heart Of this passage. How should we respond to a God who lavishes grace on us like this? Who has lavished grace on you like this? Well, the final point. You must take him at his word. We must take God at His word. That's the final point, isn't it? Point number one, God keeps His word. The problem is we don't. Fear makes us doubt His word. But the good news is that in all your fears, God is gracious towards us. He's gracious towards you. And we've seen his grace here to Gideon. A God who writes with crooked pencils. So then, how then should we respond to such a God? We must take him at his word. And that's the final point. Our response to God must be different from Gideon. That's what this passage is getting at. God wants his children in Jesus Christ to take him at his word. What do I mean by that? Taking God at his word means, first of all, start to remember the vastness of God's grace towards you in Jesus. Remind yourself of his grace. You see, the reason you struggle to obey God, the reason you struggle to surrender to him, sermon after sermon, the reason you struggle to do that, is first of all, for you, if you haven't turned to Jesus, you do not know how wonderful this God is. So, you first we need to rediscover. But if you have turned to Jesus and you are struggling to surrender to Him, the reason you are struggling is because you have forgotten how wonderful God is. The reason that sinful addiction is too challenging for you to stop is because you forget that while you are a sinner, Christ died for you. The reason you are failing to answer the call to give all of your life to Jesus is that you forget that God in Christ has crowned you with his love. The reason you are struggling to give sacrificially is because you forget that God has not just forgiven you and saved you in Jesus. He actually enjoys being with you, even in your moments of doubt. So, taking God at his word starts by reminding ourselves of the sensational good news of the gospel. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Not counting our sins against him. That's the amazing grace of Jesus. So you start there. Start with the good news. And then the second thing. So remember. And then repent. Repent. Then repent. Repent for not taking God at His word. Repent for not trusting God. Repent for trusting yourself more. For trusting your reason. Your intellect more than you trust God. Repent for trusting your job to look after you. More than you trust God. Repent for trusting your relationship to look after you. To nourish you and protect you in life. More than you trust God repent for trusting church tradition to keep yourself in Christ than you trust God himself take God at his word surrender your life to God that's the two key things in this passage remember the grace of God for you and repent of your doubts about God in one sentence start taking God at his word. Amen.